Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Today, with our very special episode guest, Anthony Moss. Hello, Anthony. Hello. Anthony is an expert in the collection of antique canes, which is absolutely thrilling. And you can read all about it in his new book, A Visual History of Walking Sticks and Canes. Anthony, can you tell us what got you started with canes? Well, I'm an avid collector of things anyway. and We've always gone to our houses full of antiques. I have many collections, but my wife made the mistake, unfortunately, of buying me two canes. <laughs> and it then became an obsession and uh, I have to hide them a bit because it's, you know, she's not very, uh, she, she likes the idea, but not when I've got two and a half thousand canes dotted around the house. <laughs> That's quite a few canes, Anthony. <laughs> I'm going to go in and call that impressive. Well, it is, I think well, any antique collector is, is obsessive. It's really, it's really a form of hoarding, isn't it, in a way? It's searching for something and finding it. And if you'd found it, you're quite happy to give it back. It's the search that's more important. <laughs> exactly. The search is at least half the fun. Yeah, it is. That's right. <laughs> if you don't mind my asking, which two canes were those first ones your wife gave you? I can't remember anymore. I mean, I, I bought some canes about a year later from uh, when I went to New York, the four cranes. I still remember where I got those from. But um, for the life of me, I can't remember which particular cane she started me on this trip with. I guess with 2,000 of them in the mix, that does kind of run together. It is a bit. And she's, never, she's never chastised me for, or said, I should never have bought you those two canes. Well, she has, but she never pointed out which canes they were. So. She's keeping the secret. Yes, yes. She'll hit me over the head with one one of these days. Well, my sister did make me promise to ask you about two kinds of canes in particular. And those are glass canes and sword canes. Well, glass canes basically are uh, friggers, they call them. The glass makers, at the end of the day, had glass left over. It's quite common. And the furnaces were then shut down. So in their spare time, they made objects. Could be paperweights. In lots of cases, it was uh, canes or walking sticks. And using different colour uh, glass. Nancy is one of the more common uh, canes, uh, glass canes. They're interesting. I think I don't know how practical they were, but they're very decorative, and you could get some wonderful uh, carnival-type colours going through them. Sword canes are a bit more strange because, generally speaking, if you go back to times in Europe in the 17th century, obviously only people that were allowed to carry swords were the nobility. But the cane came along, and obviously for protection, it was quite useful to have some sort of uh, sword or um, dagger that you could pull out and defend yourself. And of course, they were very lawless times. There was no normal police force or anything. And so I think there was not much lighting. So I think you needed to protect yourself. Going through the book, I was surprised at how much more common sword canes were than I thought. Well, it's one of those things. I feel that they came out more into the uh, latter part of the 19th century. Because what happened really with canes is that you get very few what are called gadget canes or multi-purpose canes prior to about 1830. And then the, the Industrial Revolution starts to some degree a growth in the consumer market and people wanting novelties. Again, the beauty about a sword cane is you can't tell it's a sword. It just looks like an ordinary cane. <laughs> so in other words, it's hidden. I don't know how many were used in anger because there's so many things you could do with a cane. You could still still hit somebody over the head with it, <laughs> push them away. And so maybe the sword was just an added protection that you felt safer because you had some weapon that was disguised. Very cool. Some of the canes that are more interesting are the gun canes, of course. Yeah, I'm obsessed with those. <laughs> I didn't know they existed. Uh, 
Yes, what a cool thing. Most of them were one shot. So once you'd fired your gun, you couldn't do much else with it. There were guns, canes that had daggers in them as well. So um, you could, you had several lines of defense. <laughs> one for each hand. Well, yes, basically. But, no, but I mean, it, it's just that they held, mostly held one cartridge and that was it. Some gun canes really were hidden because basically poachers would use them oh, and oh. shoot animal or rabbits or something. So uh, you've got many different types of gun canes. And then the gamekeeper comes up and is like, how'd this rabbit get dead? And you're like, I don't know. I just have a cane. Couldn't have been me. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, a lot of these things, uh, not say myths, but um, there were so many different types of canes made for different purposes and a lot of novelties in that respect, a multi-purpose. It was more of a masculine pursuit to have a cane. And it was about status and about wealth and obviously masculine pursuits smoking, cut your cigar or you have cigarettes or a lighter in it. Women basically did wear canes, but often they um, put a bit of material around it and call it a parasol or an umbrella. Other women did wear fashionable canes at different times, but it was mainly men because they, they might have it for a country cane, something when they were walking in the country that supported them and looked good. They might have something for the day, a day cane, morning cane, or they might have a, an evening cane, which is, you know, tends to be black. It's not so much the Fred Astaire look, but that type of thing that it's, you know, an ivory top or some, some metal top and a black cane to go with your evening wear. And women also had canes that matched outfits and so did men. So canes really developed in some strange ways because basically they became a fashion item, especially in the 17th, 18th century. And it didn't really become of age, if you think about it, until the mid-19th century, where everybody had to wear a cane. You were undressed if you didn't. So it was uh, a matter of dress and a matter of uh, decency, you could say, or um, being dressed properly, that you would, just like you would wear a hat, gloves, or a coat, you'd also carry a wear a cane. Basically, a cane is to wear. It's a fashion item. You wear a cane and you walk with a stick. So sticks are for supporting you when you need it. But generally speaking, canes, walking canes, were not for support. They were for status, for uh, prestige, to go with your outfit or to show you're interested in a specific playwright, maybe, because they have a bust of Shakespeare on the top or something of that nature. It might be for uh, political use. They would have a particular candidate or president on the head of a cane to advertise that you were his supporter. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. So like a, bump, like a bumper sticker you carry around. Oh, yes. I mean, yes. <laughs> but the beauty about canes, as you get into the consumer age was that canes were considered similar to the Swiss family knife of today. You had lots of different items and things in them that were hidden, and they were multi-purpose, so that you wouldn't know what it was. In other words, it just looks like a cane. But the fact that it might have a watch in it, or it might have um, a cigarette or, or a lighter, or, you know, or even a key for your train carriage, was really a plus. Or it might even have a corkscrew, which you don't need today, of course, because they're all screw caps. But then you, <laughs> if you're having a bottle of wine and you had the screw with it, you could open the bottle of wine. And, and some canes actually had uh, whiskey in them, you know, a little glass and a, a file. My kind of cane. I think it's most people's type of cane. <laughs> At least you end up happy even if somebody stuck a sword in you. <laughs> I wanted to know a little bit more about reproduction gadget canes. There's a lot of fakes around. This is the problem. The reason you become an expert, and I do say I'm an expert, is I've been collecting for over 20 years. That'll do it. I've been buying from dealers and other people running for me and, and going to uh, Cane Mania and other conventions. And therefore, you meet people and you learn about canes and you hold them. Therefore, you've got an idea whether they're real or a marriage or something wrong with them. And even if you're an expert, you can still be fooled. But there's an awful lot of fake canes around. 
uh, that are modern and not antique. And there's an awful lot of wonderful modern canes that are not neither antique, but are wonderful to hold and to own. So the art of cane making is not dead. If you go to some of the county fairs or the fairs in England, uh, country fairs, then you'll find the stick makers making canes, wooden canes with, uh, with animal heads, ducks or badges or something on the top. And they're very fashionable. But fakes, it's always easy to fake a cane for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. And the danger in, in buying canes, if you buy from a reputable dealer, he'll give you provenance. You sometimes don't know what you pick up at the fair unless the person really knows what he's talking about. So it may look wonderful, but it may be something that was made yesterday and not worth the money you're paying for it. So, you know, it's a difficult, difficult subject. But um, I've got many favourite canes. And I, in collecting over the years, I mean, I decided I was going to have a collection that was much broader than most people's collections. I wanted it to be representative of the cane world, you could say. I mean, my earliest one is 16, 1650, but canes were around well before then, because even Tutankhamun, when Carter found his tomb, had loads of canes in there and stars oh, yeah. and things. So it's not new. And you could say the whole cane started really as a, a farming implement and was later used for defence by the sort of, you know, as people settled and they didn't have any weapons. But generally speaking, if you talk about pilgrims, of course, they, they had a cane, partially to carry something, partially to protect them against wild animals and partially to uh, support them because they were going long distances. So there's lots of different uses for canes. And obviously, if you go back to the French courts or even to the church, they carried staffs, you could say, of office. And canes were often depicting a status or a position, maybe kingly. There's something just not just magical about it. As you delve in any historic thing or any historic subject, whether it's silver or whether it's pencils or books, you'll find it takes you to other levels. You start at one end and suddenly find you're turning over a page and discovering something totally new. And so Absolutely. was it with my um, cane collection. I started off one thing and then realised I had lots of gaps. I was then seeking out canes that I could fill those gaps with rather than just buying expensive canes, maybe Fabergé or even Tiffany. It's nice to have those sort of canes in the collection, but it's also nice to have the sort of canes that everyday people would use, the Sunday canes maybe, or for golf. Yeah. See, most canes were day canes and people, they were just bent, bent wood. But if you had a birthday to go to, maybe, or a, a wedding or a Sunday, you would dress up in your finest and have a, a specifically special cane. In which you'd only wear once a week, maybe, or once every so often. So I found it a very interesting subject. And what I've tried to do is to impart that in my book so that people would have a, a broader understanding of not only the social side of, of canes and the need that people wore them, but also the different types of canes that you could get, like squirter canes. Even in uh, Art Deco, they made some wonderful canes. And most people don't even realise that the Art Deco period gave rise to some magnificent walking canes. Absolutely. But anyway, sorry, I'm rather taking over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, I love it. Well, it's all fascinating stuff. And I do have to say, from your book, I went from no idea about canes to extremely interested in canes. So... It worked out. Thank you. Good. Yeah, I I learned uh, an incredible amount. I've got to say, the book is, I'm going to go ahead and call it an indispensable primer for anyone who wants to know more. It's really, really thorough and fascinating and, yeah, pretty incredible. <laughs> well, it was meant to be a handbook. It was meant for people that were collectors and students and fashion people so that they got a better idea of where they all came from. You know, it's a piece of history, although it's still used today. Living history, if you will. Well, yes, yes. I mean, I've got early canes, PK canes, that you can wear today. They look, they're 400, 300, 400 years old, but they're still wonderful canes and still wearable. 
But you know, they made maybe they made them to last. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I was really, really fascinated by the um the funerary procession canes. I've actually been collecting funerary for a while, and I had never known about that. Is that something they still do? Well, yes, the funeral procession or the the undertaker, whoever heads the queue obviously marches at a certain pace and often has a short cane or a long pole because he's marking time. And even when they had horses and you were buried in a, in a, in a carriage, in a glass carriage, they still walked at a very slow pace. And people might stand by the roadside and you know, bow or raise their hats. But it was, it's still today that you get somebody marching in front of the, the coffin as it's brought into the church and laid on its uh, bench or supports. And obviously it's, it's meant to be solemn. So, um, yes, they, they still play a part today. But the canes that fascinate me are really the mentamori. Remember that you are mortal. The idea that, you know, you, uh, you're born and you die, and it reminds you that life is transitory. And I find those fascinating because there was a terrific um, movement, really, you could say, in Victorian times, especially because of child death, child mortality. And so mourning wear of, you know, jewellery and rings became quite fashionable. You know, something from the from the dead, something you could wear. And I find that the mentamori canes, which are skulls or symbolic things about mortality and life, you know, it's a sort of um, undertaker idea that from the rave to the grave or from the sperm to the worm, from the start of life <laughs> to, the, to the end of life, we look after you type of thing. <laughs> they tie in, as far as I'm concerned, with the funeral, you know, the fact that you've got a pacer at the front, you know, a funeral director, should we call him, who deals with the whole process Whitewashing the body, putting it in the um, in the coffin, making sure it's prepared, bringing it to the chapel or church, and obviously directing the mourners and the uh, and the congregation. So it's still carried on. There is still some importance in life and death, I guess, isn't there? It's treated with respect. Absolutely. It's a show, and I think that's why the funeral canes are interesting. But to my mind, the mentamori canes, you know, are really important because no matter how important you are. You are only mortal. You pass through this world. And I think that's been a terrific message. And there's some wonderful examples in the book, but also in my collection that I couldn't show. Oh, I love the ones in the book. <laughs> I couldn't show everything. I was, I was restricted to about 900 images, of which there was 800 canes and the rest were third-party images. So I was rather restricted to how many I could show. <laughs> I would like to hear more about the... Uh... Escritoire set? The Escritoire set is, it, to my mind, it's the, the height or the very best gadget cane you'll ever find. It's very unique. I and mean, I do collect writing instruments. And I have Escritoires and they're little pocket things you put in, you know, like the first um, iPads, but they were 1840. <laughs> the idea was you had some paper, you had pens, you had ink, you had candle, you had uh, seals and uh, letter envelopes and you could weigh your envelope and uh, put a stamp on it. But though you get canes with um, these are you know multi-purpose canes, to my mind that's the creme of all because it's so interesting the fact that it's got so many pieces in it. I don't know how practical it was, but obviously everything works, and you've got a watch in it. It must have been a presentation piece. You know, it's the sort of thing you give as a gift. How convenient it would be to uh, walk around with a whole a lot of instruments and you try to use them and have enough ink and enough paper. I don't know, but most canes that were writing canes had a pencil, and that was the the height of the. That's what everybody wanted. You could go to a you know a fair, or you could go to a, a race of some sort, or go to the bookies, and you had a you could write down what you wanted. But the other <laughs> is, is my best gadget cane, and the moral cane is the best ever tradesman's cane. Because tradesmen had canes, this is again the multi-purpose side, they may have a measure for horses, of course, is one thing, 
They may have you know a foot measure because they were they were selling shoes. They could have all sorts of things in the in, in a cave. Oh, wild! Because it was practical. That's that's Vienna, eighteen eighteen fifty three. A boil was um, from a Jewish point of view circumcised the baby at seven eight days. Normally, the father would have to do it, but obviously, not being competent, he would get somebody else to do it. <laughs> Hopefully, a doctor, but obviously, a moil. And that, that was what the moil's profession was to act as to do a circumcision. So it's a bit gruesome in that respect, I guess. <laughs> but, but no more gruesome than um, some of the other canes that maybe a physician or a, a surgeon might carry. So it was just a very practical thing. And because it's got a rabbi on the front of it, you know that it's Jewish. Ah. They would know it's a moil's cane. So you can see what his profession was. If you're a rat catcher, you might have a rat on the top of your cane. And I've got canes that do that. But in terms of favourite canes, now I think my favourite cane is the uh, mermaid German cane with a, a mermaid and a girl on a beach. It's in the, the Jewels in the Crown section of the book. And it's a narrative cane. It tells a story, even if I don't know what the story is. But the whole fact is that looking at it, you can see that it's, it's an event. There's a girl with long hair and there's a mermaid. And, and the way the, the handle is cut, it creates waves. It's Art Nouveau, and Art Nouveau canes were beautiful. They, they were very natural, often had women, of course, or flowers or insects. But that was also a wonderful period. Anyway, sorry, I'm digressing from the, the other canes. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's what we called you on here to talk about, so you're right on topic. <laughs> Obviously, I, could, I can give lectures and talk about these things. I'm happy just to, to carry on and, um, and hope that I stir some, uh, some other questions, if, that's the, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I actually, very curious, I, I think that I speak for a large number of people when I say that the gadget canes are the most fascinating to me. And were those mostly just kind of for show to say, oh, look how fancy my cane is. It's got literally an entire architecture kit. Or did people actually use those? Well, I, would have, I wouldn't think that the architect's cane, which is amazing, Swedish cane, I think that was presentation. I cannot imagine an architect wanting to take all these pieces out <laughs> and do anything serious. But as a, a for a presentation for a, a famous man or a famous uh, professor, that would be a wonderful gift. Whereas the gadget canes that you see that are useful might have three or four things in them. So, for instance, if you got a cane that had matches or strikes, it held cigarettes, then that would be quite a useful cane to have. So that would be very practical as a smoker. You might have a pipe in it. Because you could carry a pipe around and you could you some tobacco in your pocket and you could have a smoke. And it didn't look necessarily like a pipe. It looked like an ordinary cane, so it would support you. But a lot of the problem with gadget canes is they can be forged, they can be fakes. Because it's very easy to sort of marry up a cane and say it's a gadget. Certainly, I find the gadget canes fascinating. And my most fascinating are the squirter canes. And they were basically, you could say, to amuse children. Or maybe even <laughs> squirt acid, but... If you look in that section, the squirter canes basically were pot metal. They were cheap. And maybe you bought them at fairs. So children played with them and they didn't last. So there's very few, very few left to find because they were, they were cheap canes and often got destroyed. But the idea was you'd have a, an elephant or you'd have a, a nude boy or you'd have a, a, an aristocrat and you press the button and somehow or other water would eject from his trousers somewhere. <laughs> It was meant to, I suspect it really was to, uh, it was meant to, to start, to start a conversation. But again, they're fascinating because it's one of those things that you don't realize exists. Now, one of the best ones I've got was a Briggs cane is an umbrella with a fish on it. And that is a squirter cane. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a piece. There's a lot going on there. Now, whether you used it because it was just water and it would cool you down or whether you put perfume in it. 
which you could do. Oh. Nevertheless, it's a squirter cane. And you could, in extreme circumstances, definitely put acid in it as a protection. I think most of them probably were just for fun. And maybe for a, for a woman, uh, having a cane like that with perfume may, maybe made sense. You know, you were out and, and it would it's the sort of thing you would carry without people realising it. And obviously some of the canes you get have all the, all the utensils for your nails. In other words, they would carry oh. a file, you know, clippers and all sorts of things, a little mirror. And that's more 1920s, you could say. So people invented things and they, were, they did have a practical use. And you would use that. You could see somebody using that. They're out on a, a date or they're out on a, a ball or, a, or wherever to dinner and they wanted to um, put some makeup on or something. So you could get that. So they would be, have a compact in it. Those are practical. The more complicated ones, I think, were made a bit like some of these pen knives we talk about, were made to show the skill of the maker. Okay. They could get so much into this little tiny head. And maybe that was the sort of mixture of, of the presentation. It was something very special. You would never really use it, but you would keep it because it was a gift. And it represented really a, an important gift. It was expensive to make. Absolutely. So I think status comes in, I guess. These were not cheap items. The canes that were expensive were the gadget canes that had... I've got Briggs canes. You press a button and the um, it's got a cockatoo on it and its hair raises up. Oh. And those were very expensive. So they, they were mechanical or canes, but obviously gadget in the sense that by pressing a button, the eyes would roll or the, um, you know, or the tongue would stick out or the ears would go up. And I think they were for amusement, but they are a gadget. I wouldn't say multi-purpose. Obviously, they... They can hold you up. You can walk with them. But also, I think they were for amusing children and uh, the opposite sex, that you suddenly bring it out of the party and, uh, and everybody would laugh because there's no television when you think about it. Uh, how would people amuse themselves other than maybe making music or telling jokes? I don't know. Or having fa- you know, facades or something. Circling back to uh, smoking canes. Yes, yes. I remember, Dee, you were telling me the other day when we were reading through this book, you were fascinated by a cane that would hold your cigarette for you between a whole separate hand? Yeah. <laughs> Some of those, yes. Again, it's a, maybe it's very sort of um, uh, a, bit, a bit of a poser, really, isn't it? Because you, what you would have in a cane <laughs> be a cigarette holder, which you could pull out, and that would be quite smart. Having the cigarette in the cane obviously exists, and I've got some. I don't know how practical it was and how often you'd use it. <laughs> but if it had cigarettes in it and a lighter, you know, matches then obviously you could pull a cigarette out and you might have three or four or more cigarettes in the cane and you could be walking through the city and quit simply uh, get a cigarette and light it. So those were practical. Yeah. I think, as I say, some things were more about the skill of the craftsman and what you could get into a cane. I've got some gentlemen's canes which have shaving, shaving cream, well, not cream, but soap and brushes and the uh, razors. And I think they probably were practical. If you were out and you wanted in the evening, you needed to freshen up, maybe you would wear it or use it. But the main thing about the book was to was to show a range of things and to probably give people uh, some sort of, um, well, enthusiasm is the wrong word, but to make people interested in canes as a subject and the historic side of canes and what they meant and the range of canes and how they changed with, with fashion. And to some degree, they went out of fashion. And the umbrella took over. It was really a cane, but it was a very practical gadget cane. It had two purposes. Oh, yes. You could walk with it and you could cover yourself if it rained. So to me, <laughs> that's the ultimate gadget cane, really. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, actually. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, 
But in some respects, that's how it grew. I mean, people didn't wear canes in uh, in the UK uh, because it was seen to be ephemerate. Really? Yes. It was, uh, so people preferred to get wet, I think. And obviously the parasol came around was more because of carriages and women wanting to protect their uh, makeup and hair uh, that gave them a parasol. It wasn't really initially for uh, to keep the rain off them. It was to keep the sun. So there was a lot of resistance, especially in the UK, to umbrellas. It was very unmanly. But obviously, uh, if you got wet, you'd, you'd be quite grateful for, for having something. <laughs> but <laughs> that's another story, I guess. Uh, again, another story, but uh, it leads in another direction. That's why I've, I've tried to add in um, the whole history of, uh, of umbrellas as well, because I feel it's just as just much part of the or that sector as anything. It's just neglected because everybody thinks, well, it's a walking stick. No. There's so much more to it. Yeah, a lot more to it. And you can get umbrellas with swords in them. But that's beside I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the crossovers are endless. <laughs> I did have a question. Yes. There's a lot of focus. In fact, I believe the book is actually uh, ushered in with a poem about the dandy. And I was curious if the dandy was made by the cane or if the cane was made by the dandy. Well, I would say that the dandy wore a cane uh, because it was part of it was part of dress. And even today, a modern dandy would wear a cane. You know, it's part of the dress. The whole point about dandies, they basically dress in inf- in feminine types of ways, especially in France. And um, it was really um, a movement that, of objection to really normal dress. They wanted to be flamboyant. So they really wanted to overdress. In other words, it was more important to be flamboyant and to be overdressed than to be just smart. You overdid it. And so a dandy, again, was um, a term we still use today, maybe not so much in America or North America. But my wife wrote that poem because our good friend um, Robin Dutt, who helped me with the book to some degree, who inspired me to some degree, is a dandy. And he's written lots of books on dandyism, if you want to call it that. And she wrote this poem for him, or for us for the book, actually, but to to, uh, record the fact that uh, he was a dandy and the the inspiration it gave us. And she also had a a poem at the end about having had the journey uh, when the cane was king and we finished the book. No, it's, it's a whole new movement. I mean, I've got people, or should we say contacts here, that are dressing in 18th century clothes. And they, oh, yeah. they love the dressing up bit. You know, the, um, the idea of transporting themselves to another era. You know, it's, a, it's one of those uh, things, I guess, that people, people <laughs> like, to, like to show off. <laughs> and it's an excuse. Look, people dress in the fi- 50s clothes or they dress, um, you know, in 20s or they, they dress in, uh, in 70s clothes or something because they... They want to regain the era. They want to feel they're living it. Um, so maybe that's what a dandy does. He feels really he's from a different era. And look at me. You know, I'm a peacock. I'm, uh, you know, I'm smart. <laughs> well, yes, but, you know, it, people are entitled to do that, I guess. And so uh, yeah. it makes us individuals. And if it if it's good, it's, it certainly doesn't harm anybody. That's for sure. True. <laughs> I actually had a quick question. Um, is there a type of cane that is more commonly reproduced than others or is it sort of a grab bag? No, the canes I find that are, that are reproduced pretend to be original. They're not expensive. They're reasonably well carved, but they have a brass collar and it screws off. And after a time, you realize that they're not what they should be. Okay. I think, look, anything that's pretty, if it's Fabergé, people forge, fake them. So how many did he make? Well, a lot of them are forgeries, but they still, still uh, cost about $40,000 to buy. But you, you don't know they're real. Unless you've got provenance, you, you're wasting your money. So anything expensive, where's a market, people will forge it. 
it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's coins or jewellery or, you know, uh, silver. I mean, you know, you can cast silver and pretend it's uh, ancient and it's got some hall and it's the hallmarks intact, but never saw the light of day. It's not Georgian. <laughs> but that's what people do, I'm afraid. There's um, yeah. a lot of uh, people that uh, scan people. It's not, it's, maybe it's not just a sign of our times. There's always been fakers around, isn't there? Yeah. And so I think it's a bit sad, but, uh, and it's so easy to be taken in by it. And thinking you bought something that's really special and they're giving you the talk. And it's, uh, which is why I would say that if you're buying canes, go to somebody that knows the, knows the, st- the story and uh, it's not going to um, fool you because it's too easy. <laughs> that's fair advice for anything, really. You know, if, 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 it, if it costs you much, I would question why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Better that at least you can't lose too much. Yeah. And if you like it, bought it because you like it and you can wear it. So you've not spent, you know, spent you know, a king's ransom to, uh, to buy it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Anthony. This was an absolutely fascinating session. Yeah, I appreciate it. I can always re- always return if you need me. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, would love to, actually, yeah. <laughs> but thank you but all, all for your time. As you know, I'm, I'm Kane Quest calling off on this particular one. So hopefully we'll speak again. If you would like to suggest episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. Or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you would like to listen to deleted scenes or listen to our special bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varian the Vampire, you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. Au revoir!